0: Welcome to the Piercefield Oliver podcast. I'm Louise Oliver and I'm delighted to be joined today by top divorce lawyer and partner at Knight Solicitors, Amanda Glass. Our topic for discussion today is pre and post nuptial agreements. So, just to set the scene, a recent release of a paper by Harvard Law School explains that only about 5% of married couples have such an agreement. Although the facts around divorce are that around 42% of marriages end in divorce. For second marriages, that goes up to around about 67%. And for third marriages, a whopping 74%. So why is this? Why aren't more people going into the pre and the post nuptial agreements given those stats? Well, this study suggested that there are two main reasons why people don't do them. The first one is that the couples feel that it predicts doom and gloom on the marriage. So you're sort of self-fulfilling the prophecy as it were. So that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is that The majority of couples just believe that, in spite of the statistics showing more than half of all marriages end in divorce, it will never happen to them. So, let's get into the meat of this, Amanda. Okay, thanks, Louise. Thanks for the intro and thanks for having me. (laughs) It's great to have you with us today. Um, So, first of all, what is a prenuptial agreement and does the law in the UK acknowledge them? Good question. So a
1: prenuptial agreement, also known as a prenup, that's what we tend to call for short, is a formal written agreement between an engaged couple prior to their marriage. And a postnup, as the name suggests, is after the marriage. It sets out the ownership of all their belongings, money, assets, property, and explains how it will be divided in the event of the breakdown of their marriage both parties must make extensive disclosure of their respective finances and what we call the open kimono moment. This is one of the criteria required to give the agreement a higher chance of being enforceable should the marriage break down. And as you touched on earlier, Louise, it's commonly thought that such agreements put a negative slant on the marriage, imply an element of mistrust, if you like, and are unromantic. The counter argument is that they provide clarity and get the finances out of the way to avoid future stress, time, expense and acrimony. No agreement between the parties can override the legislation or prevent the judge from deciding on the appropriate division of assets on a divorce. This means a pre or post nut cannot stop a spouse applying to the court for financial provision from the other spouse. But any waiver of the right to apply to the court for financial provision in an agreement will not be effective. So the significance of these agreements is as a relevant circumstance of the case to be weighed up by the judge, an agreement will have a substantial impact on the judge's decision in many cases. And as the Supreme Court said in the landmark case, Radmacher versus Granantino, October, 2010, the court should give effect to a nuptial agreement that is freely entered into by each party with a full appreciation of its implications unless in the circumstances it would not be fair to hold the parties to their agreement
0: okay amanda so so it does sound as though the uk courts take some heed to the fact that a couple have gone through this process so in your opinion so if you're a couple and you're thinking of uh, you know getting married or you're a couple and something's changing in your circumstances, why do you think those particular marriages should consider legalising this and putting a pre- or post agreement in, in place?
1: Well, the primary reason is a marked disparity of wealth between the couple and the wealthier party and or their family wish to protect those assets against future claims on a divorce. So it's similar to an insurance policy to protect against future loss. So in summary, they're often used when one party wants to protect inheritance or future inheritance, or there are assets or property that will be very hard to split 50-50. Also, with more blended families, second and third marriages, there are children from a previous relationship, and one party wants to ensure that certain assets are reserved for them and protect their inheritance rights. So it's also crucial to make a will or either party owns a business, which they would like to retain control of, or one of the parties comes in with an outstanding debt. A prenup with a debt clause may protect you from being liable for that debt.
0: So it sounds like there's a array of different circumstances. So. You know, as we generally say in certainly in financial planning, and I'm sure it's the same in 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 law as well. Um, a lots of different situations. Everyone's different, so it's worthwhile considering, isn't it? So just to move on to the process. So how do you go about it, Amanda? What what's the process, and do each of the parties need a separate lawyer, and if so, why? Well, that's one of
1: the factors when considering if the agreement's fair and should be upheld, And it's very important that both parties have independent legal advice and they've had enough time to review it before signing. So when we're setting up a couple and advising our client on a prenup, we have to ensure the following has been complied with. So it has to comply with the UK law and the prenup must be drawn up by a qualified solicitor. Both parties must have separate solicitors To avoid any claim of conflict of interest. All assets must be fully disclosed by the parties and there are schedules annexed to the agreement. Both parties must fully understand the agreement and enter into it voluntarily. And both solicitors must certify it was entered into freely and knowingly. Ideally the prenup should be signed at least 28 days before the marriage Otherwise, the parties must enter into a post six months after the marriage to allow the dust to settle and to reaffirm the terms of the original prenup.
0: So Amanda, do you think actually going into a marriage and you've discussed your assets, you you know your card are on the table, um, is there an argument to suggest that actually that's a great basis that, you know, you know each other's finances inside and out rather than Some people don't talk about money and they get married and they don't really know who's got what. Do you think it's a positive thing in that respect?
1: Definitely. And I think that a lot of couples do enter into marriage with quite rose-tinted expectations. And to address the financial issues before you set off, probably, although I don't have statistics for this, gives them a better chance in the long run.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Talk about the many side of it. And then you can just get on with sort of enjoying it, I suppose. Now, I I know that um, in the financial planning world, we certainly at Piercefield Oliver get involved in intergenerational financial planning. So this is when we're looking to pass money down the generations. So you might have some grandparents who are looking at helping For example, with school fees funding, so that could be that they want to transfer a lump of money to the next generation in order that that can be facilitated. Now, the reason the reason that people don't do this often is because they don't want the money to end up with an estranged son-in-law or daughter-in-law, and therefore they want to protect the bloodline. Now, I know that post-nuptial agreements are not absolute law in the UK, but having listened to what you've said, it's certainly worth considering. Do you think that more people should be thinking about this in relation to this intergenerational planning?
1: Yes, definitely. And if one or both spouse expects an inheritance, for example, during a marriage... A prenup can include provisions that state that the inherited assets will remain the property of the inheriting spouse, so long as that asset is kept separate from the other matrimonial assets and is not mixed and mingled into the marital pot. So it's important to note that prenups are still not legally enforceable in England and Wales, at least not for now. The English system does not allow the judges discretion to be fettered the court must continue to be able to deal with each case on its own facts and merit, and the law must be applied to suit each set of circumstances and facts. But following the case I mentioned earlier, Radmacher versus Granantino, judges are attaching more weight to prenup agreements and are more likely to uphold them unless they're considered to be unfair at the time the parties get a divorce. So just to sum up, An agreement is more likely to be upheld if it is signed at least 28 days before the wedding day. Its contents are reasonable. It's clearly not out of date, providing for future children, for example, and preferably a review after a period of time. And finally, it was properly drafted by a family lawyer with both parties receiving independent legal advice and providing full disclosure.
0: Thank you, Amanda. So I think we'll wrap up there. And um, in summary, although it's not romantic to raise the issue of a prenuptial or postnuptial agreement, it is sensible and practical to at least consider it and talk to an expert, talk to a lawyer, and find out whether it's appropriate for you to undertake this. Amanda, I'd like to thank you for your engaging and informative input today. We'll be recording more podcasts in the future, so let us know if you have a topic you'd like us to cover. In the meantime, stay well and keep smiling.